Hello, I'm Kimberly Davis, and I am the Fiscal Feminist. Hi, I'm Kimberly Davis, and I'm the Fiscal Feminist. Welcome to a very special edition of my podcast, um, because today I am going to be interviewing my new husband, Mark Powell, and we are going to be discussing how he feels about the fiscal feminist and various things that I write about as my significant other. So welcome, Mark. Thank Uh, you very much. Pleasure (laughs) to be here. Thank you for coming today. As you can hear, Mark is English, so... Uh, he's actually not making that up. That really is his accent. He's not trying to be funny or anything. Although it's he, actually the he, best fake English <laughs> accent I can do. He might try to be funny later. So I'm already asking for apologies on that one. Anyway, thank you for coming today. And before we get started, happy birthday! It is your birthday today. And thank you very much. I appreciate that you were willing to come here today to do this on your birthday. So. I just want to say a few things so that I can lay the foundation about the Fiscal Feminist in case you haven't heard or haven't followed. But basically, it is a platform that I have started, a thought leadership platform to encourage women to take control of their finances and to be knowledgeable about their finances and to have a voice in whatever financial relationships that they have with their significant others, friends, parents, etc., Uh, you know, uh, employers, and so on and so forth. As I mentioned, Mark and I got married on August 7th, so a little over a month ago. And we had to make some changes because of COVID, but we did, and we had a great wedding, and it was fantastic, and my daughters attended, and we all had just a great family time. So I thought it would be really interesting to bring Mark in today, and for him to, and we haven't rehearsed any of this, so some of the stuff I'll be hearing for the first time myself, but to, you know, really get his uncut version of his thoughts on all the stuff that, you know, I write about and also negotiating our prenuptial agreement and so on and so forth. But before we get into all of that, Mark, tell us a little bit about yourself. You're from England. We know that. So um, tell us where you're from, when you came here and what you do and all that stuff. Well, thank you, Kim. Um, So yes, I'm from England and I moved to America in 1987. Uh, I was working in the advertising industry then for Saatchi and Saatchi, so they bought a company in New York. And I came here with my then um, fiance, Diane. And um, we were sort of a husband and wife, wife creative team. I was a creative director. She was a um, account director. Um, And uh, fell in love with New York. So we were based in New York, and then um, moved to L.A. to open an office, and we worked together. And um, interestingly, um, when I met you, uh, you kind of reminded me a little bit of Diane because she's very independent, very successful. I admired that a lot. So you you like strong women. I love strong women. (laughs) Um, And, and, you know, that really goes back to... um, my upbringing, my mother's very, very uh, strong woman. Um, yes, your, so, mom, your mom is a tough cookie, a very intelligent, straight shooter. Very tough, um, but very caring, very loving. So, you know, that, um, that's something which uh, I think in your, you know, in your childhood uh, shapes your, your philosophy, you know, and your thinking about uh, gender uh, equality, I suppose, 
Um, my mother and father, you know, discussed everything, and they were very, um, they had a great sense of humor, very smart people. And um, I never saw any sort of imbalance between between them, you know, uh, growing up. But you're up. saying something because generationally that's a, you know, a different generation. So just to be clear, I'm not your first wife, correct? <laughs> <laughs> so how many wives have you had? Let's just get that out of the way. Well, now I've had three. I'm the third. Um, rumor has it I'm related to Henry VIII, so... <laughs> But I'm. I'm but gonna, please don't take my head off. Um, <laughs> I'm going to stop at three. Okay. Well, let's hope that the third time is the charm. It's always interesting to me because I lived in England, as you know, for almost, I guess, 13 and a half years. And I didn't know Mark in England. I met him here. But I've often thought about the differences in culture between the English and Americans vis-a-vis women and women's rights and how, you know, men view women. Are they more liberal? Or are they, you know, more, uh, do they embrace the feminist idea more? I, I don't know exactly. I think it's a little more traditional there. But um, what do you think? Do you think there's a difference in the way uh, men are in England as opposed to the United States? Uh, yes, I do. Um I remember when I was in college, actually, it was probably the first experience up in London um, at Central St. Martins. We had international students and the Americans always, you know, both the men and the women, loud, um, um, <laughs> Excuse me? fun. <laughs> no, but, you know, the Brits are kind of quiet, you know, um, uh, unless they've been down the pub. But uh, generally speaking, Americans are out. Except outs- if they're at football games. Right, right. Um, so they have their certain... Uh, environments where they, you know, have, I guess they have their, their sort of, um, their outlets for expressing themselves. But generally speaking, um, day-to-day Brits are quiet. And being amongst Americans in London, you know, I, I warm to their energy, you know, and their spirit. They're very competitive. And uh, this is interesting, but, you know, we've never discussed this before, really. But I thought the women were really strong. You know, I was a bit intimidated by American women. They were really strong. And a lot of the um, activities I got involved in, say, for example, I was part of the London University kayak team, and uh, it was uh, we had a lot of Canadians and Americans and um, pretty much an e- even spread of women and men. The women made all the decisions. It was As they should have. <laughs> <laughs> well, we listened. <laughs> so um, you've been trained we well. Listened, we listened and followed. But it was fun, you know, um, and it gave me sort of an insight, uh, and I suppose an early fascination about what it'd be like to grow up in America and, and live in America. So maybe that was uh, where the first seeds were sown for my uh, interest in coming here. But back to your original question, I think um, I think American women um, are stronger in spirit and soul and determination. Now, British women hearing this might not be not agree with me, but that was just my in- initial impression. Or I think what I gathered when I lived there is that I think American women tend to be a little more direct, but that's a cultural thing across the board there. And I haven't lived there in 10 years, so things obviously have changed since I last lived there. But I think that um, I felt more strident talk of equal rights and feminism here than I did when I lived there. Um, although I knew many successful women there. So, you know, it may all be come down to cultural expression. So Mark and I met six years ago, and um, I moved here from England in, uh, when did I move here? 2009. 
And I hadn't lived here in a long time, so I thought, oh, wow, I better go meet a bunch of British people to make me feel at home because I haven't lived in the United States in a while, and my kids grew up in England, and I don't know, I've got to go meet some British people. So I joined the British American Business Council and um, was a member of that for several years. I'm now the president of it because I really love this group of people. But I was asked to do a talk at a lunch, and it was about finance and so on and so forth. At the time, the Bonson Group was still at uh, Morgan Stanley, but in any event, I went to give the talk, and Mark was in the audience. So that is how we met. And I spoke about finance and my career, and, you know, Mark asked me a totally non-sequitur question. <laughs> Mark, what was the question? Well, before I get to the question... Um I just want to say that the first time I met you was on my fridge. Uh, that's <laughs> weird, but okay. <laughs> so I, I too moved to um, – I joined the BABC, and, um, and they had this mentor lunch with Kimberly Davis. And with the, uh, the email uh, mailer that they sent out, there was a picture of Kim. And um, there was just something in her expression that uh, in the photograph that fascinated me. So I went along to hear um, about her life because it, it said, you know, she's she, – lived and worked in England and there's a there's a brief overview of her career and I thought well, that would be really a fascinating thing to do at lunchtime so we had this mm-hmm. Kim gave this great um account of her life from from Pittsburgh to to present day and at the time and uh and I was just I was amazed I was amazed how someone had, could do so much you know raise three kids <laughs> have you, different careers um and um uh, at the very end, there were some serious questions from various people, and I, I listened to all the serious questions, and I, I, I saw Kim countering some um, hard questions from certain gentlemen wearing sunglasses. It wasn't me. Uh, <laughs> the guy looked like he just came come from a card game in Vegas. Um, and then there was a big silence, and it was like, any more questions? I'm like, I can't ask a serious question. So I said, Rolling Stones or Beatles? To which Kim replied, Rolling Stones. <laughs> which so, was good because that's... So that was the match made in heaven at that <laughs> point because we were both on the same page about the Stones and from there you can build any kind of relationship. So we met, we dated, and then like a lot of people, and especially we are of a certain age, so t- time is of the essence, uh, we started to live together. And so that was really, you know, an interesting experience, right? Because I had been married before uh, one time for over 23 years. And um, as I Mark mentioned, I have three daughters with my ex-husband who actually does live in London. Um, I That was my kind of uh, example of a relationship and then also the financial aspect of how we related in that relationship. And so uh, Mark moved in and we began to set up our house and have to start dealing with financial issues together once we decided we were going to kind of stay living together. And so that brought in a whole host of issues, as financial issues often do, and and can sometimes cause a bit of tension between people because they come at it, at least at the beginning, from different perspectives. So it's been an interesting ride, and we've had a lot of discussions, and we've had a lot of ups and downs financially. So I was still digging myself out of the Armageddon that was my divorce, and Mark was in transition with his career. So when we met, we were both in a lot of transition, which I think in many ways opened the opportunity for us to have conversation. 
because nothing was like set in stone. So that was actually a good thing, even though when we went through it, it was kind of not that fun. But we did have each other and somehow we, you know, managed to have fun in spite of the situation. So when I started this platform, as I said before, you know, I really am very passionate about the fact that women need to know what's going on. I was a person who, uh, as I have mentioned before, was a corporate lawyer, an investment banker, a CFO. And yet during the course of my marriage, I lost complete control over the, the finances and the knowledge of the finances because I was overwhelmed with taking care of the children and, you know, my own responsibilities and uh, trying to do some professional things. And so I really didn't know what was going on. And then, you know, when we finally did decide to um, dissolve the marriage, you know, I wasn't aware of a lot of things that were detrimental to me. And that was my fault. So I don't think it's, you know, we can all hide behind our responsibilities and say, I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to do this. But in the end, it will really come back and bite you and you will be unhappy that you didn't know what was going on. It doesn't have to be confrontational. There's nothing Machiavellian about this. This is just having knowledge. So I'm really strident about this. I, I've written a lot of things I, that are pretty straightforward about women taking control. I really feel passionately about gender equity, not only in the workplace, but in the home. And I, I have some pretty uh, solid feelings about that. So I know that you like well, you have mentioned that you were married before quite mm. young to Diane and you then you married Jill and you've had another relationship after that. How did the financial aspect of those relationships impact you or how were they how did they form you and how are they different than what we're doing? That's well, a lot of questions, so no, they're you, all could, good. you can pick which one. They're all good questions. Um, obviously I was a lot younger when I got married the first time. Um, and mixing that in with coming to America, you know, there's, uh, there's a lot going on. But what, one thing that, um, that Diane and I both had when we met, we were both sort of on sort of an equal footing, um, so financially and uh, with our assets. So Diane wanted to keep her finances separate to me, and I was fine with that as well. And uh, so we really, we were very compatible on the financial side. We never had an argument about money. And we, we split all of our costs 50-50, and it just worked fine. And so Diane was aware of the intricacies of the financial situation of she, your lives. Yeah, and she was very informed. And uh, she, she had more, I think, was more responsible financially than me. And uh, I was more of an adventure adventurous soul back then i think i still am but <laughs> you are darling you know. you're very adventurous but money wasn't um money wasn't necessarily part of the adventure adventure or the the purpose or the goal it was always um by default i would get paid well for doing great creative work so you know um, but it wasn't a point of contention in your relationship never, no never a point of contention so then you, let's move on to yeah. jillian because i think that was a different kind of relationship <laughs> completely different so she was more, you were the breadwinner for the most part? Yes. And was she aware of the finances or not aware? Well, it's a, it's a strange dichotomy. Um, she was aware of accounting and being organized. So when we got married, she actually did all of the bookkeeping. She um, paid the bills. She paid the bills. She kept stuff. the ledger. Right. Um, and we had, a joint bank, we had a joint bank account. So you commingled all your funds. Commingled everything, um, and uh, 
so she was very organized and uh i was happy in terms of a partnership you know i knew she was better at that than me and was more interested in it it was something she did with a passion um and i just got on with you know my career at the time working for b&w and uh and doing again doing the best creative work i could do and uh i got paid well and uh and and jill looked after the finances you know she looked after the money so were you aware of what was going on? I was not. <laughs> <laughs> so did you did you know what the credit card bills were and what you know what I, the finances I, of the monthly expenses were? And I'm embarrassed like to say, but honestly, hand on heart, I didn't because you know when you need, when you see that someone has an ability, uh, you trust them. You know, so well, I, I, don't, I don't think what you're saying is unusual. I think a lot of women take control of the uh, bills. And they pay the bills, they handle all the household things, and you know, or a partner. For, you know, it doesn't have to be a, a man woman thing, but in a partnership, mm. often some one person will do that, and the other person kind of just not that they kick back, but they just think, okay, you know, it's being handled, and I don't really need to get into the nitty gritty. So, just FYI, everybody, you know, I address my commentary to women, but this is for everybody because it goes as as much for men as it goes for women because if you don't really know in one part of your financial relationship what the heck is going on then it either way it's not going to be good so jillian's handling all this stuff so how did that end i mean what what happened that you weren't aware of that you should have been aware of and what did you think about that well one thing i realized is that ignorance is not bliss um amen so you know, I uh, once it became apparent that um, we, for some reason, we had no money in our bank account. You know, when when I occasionally did check things, um, then I was I was concerned. And, and you know, Jillian uh, had great taste in lots of things and liked to buy clothes and shoes. And um, you know, we. You're essentially living beyond the means of my salary, you know, what it could provide. So we were paid all our bills on time, and uh, she did that. But did you guys ever discuss it, or you never brought it up? It just kind of was floating around in the background. Again, my my bad. I just, um, you know, it didn't go there. You know, I was Well, I I mean, I think in many relationships, people do not discuss this. It was uncomfortable, I think, and that's why, you know, I always... um, try to avoid conflict, you know, personal conflict, um, confrontations. I'm not a confrontational person. So you uh, associated talking about finances with it being confrontational? Yeah, I would sort of think, hmm, you know, it just seems like she has this under control. She's got everything on lockdown. All the bills are being paid, um, you know. And a beautiful uh, shoe collection. <laughs> great shoe. Well, Julian always looks absolutely amazing. Um, yeah, so... Um, and Mel DeMarcus would have been proud of um, Jill's <laughs> shoe collection. <laughs> so while you were doing that, I was um, married to my ex-husband, Michael, and uh, we were living in New York for a very long time, and then we moved to London. And, um, you know, I kind of had uh, the reverse of that in some ways. Um, I always handled the bills. The one time Michael tried to take them over, our cable got shut down because he forgot to pay the bill. Um, but I also did not we 99% of the things that we argued about 
involve money, whether it was expenditures for the children or a vacation. I don't know, but we never really were philosophically aligned about money. And that was something we never discussed, really, when we started going out, because we were both corporate lawyers in New York City in the 80s, and we both made good money. So we really didn't, you know, talk about it, because I thought, oh, I'll just handle my stuff, and he'll handle his stuff. But then we had three children, at which point I stepped out of the workforce, and I stopped my progression in my career. And I was a stay-at-home mom, which was a real privilege, and I'm very lucky that I got to do that. But it did come at a price. But I think back to how I didn't want to discuss finances with him, because It not only appeared to be confrontational to me, but it actually was because it caused a lot of aggravation in our home. And, you know, I was like, I would go buy things and I would like come in and hide them under the bed because I didn't want Michael to know. And I look back on that now and in retrospect and think how ridiculous if if he and I actually had sat down and we had created a budget and we had discussed this openly, instead of kind of skirting around the issue all the time, we probably would have gotten along a lot better. I'm not saying we'd still be together, but I think we would have had less arguing. I think maybe getting older, you become more sanguine about it. But what I'm trying to do is tell people who are young as well, you know, this is something that if you can become comfortable with it right away, it's going to really enhance your relationship. So when you and I met, we were kind of struggling along and and Mm. we were, you know, we were keeping a roof over our heads, doing what we needed to do. And how do you feel when we talk about finances? Because we have recently gotten married and I was very clear how I wanted this to look because of all the things that had happened to me and also all the things I've learned from being a wealth manager and having my certified divorce financial analyst designation and just the importance of just knowledge. Knowledge is power. We've talked a lot about that I wanted to have a cohabitation agreement, which we have, which morphed into a prenuptial agreement. And in that agreement, you know, we had to discuss some uncomfortable things because it's basically talking about what happens if we no longer have a relationship? So that's already kind of a, uh, you don't really want to talk about that. But you kind of have to because if you don't, when you are finally falling apart, if you haven't decided things when you were in love with each other and happy, then you're really going to have a hard time of it. At least that's the theory. So I say this and people probably read it and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But in reality, this is not an easy thing to do, fiscal feminist. So, you know, it sounds good on paper, but in reality, nobody really wants to do that. I don't think you've had a prenup in any of your or cohabitation agreement in any of your other relationships. No. And I know that you did live with somebody for a very long time who wasn't your third wife, but someone long-term relationship. Long-term relationship. So how did you feel when I said that this was like non-negotiable? If I didn't have it, I wasn't going to get married or live together or do any of that stuff. How did you feel about that when I said it? Honestly, when I first said it, what were your thoughts? Well, I think it wasn't a surprise because of what we've been talking about all along and also knowing knowing a couple of things. One, what you've gone through, how your divorce, if you like, um, and the aftermath, how that shaped your thinking and gave you a new awareness. So, you know, we've had many conversations over the years. So when it came to, right, we're going to do this, we're going to get married, you know, it's going to be legal. And yeah, no, it was... I suppose there was that unromantic element. Now we have to sign 
some legal documents. And we talked about it, you know, there was a there was a day or two where I felt, does this mean she doesn't really trust me? You know, cause, yeah. because you, right now my head is in this sort of euphoric, we're getting married, you know, and I'm a... Mark, I'm a uh, just FYI, everyone, Mark is way more of a romantic person than I am. He's fantastic that way and i'm just an old curmudgeon so i love the i love the um there was a you know you're not there was this great um album by uh stanley clark uh, the basis oh, it's called R- romantic warrior and uh, i remember i remember thinking you know i'm not narcissistic but we all have a little bit of it but i thought i kind of want to be that person you know romantic warrior i want to be romantic but tough if that, if that makes any sense <laughs> i know it does so so when when the um, well, we were in a time crunch too because we had to sign this document. We had to get it reviewed. Yeah, um, I mean, you really have to prepare and and have it done in advance of the wedding. There's certain timelines, so yeah. if you are going to have a prenup or even, I mean, uh, what we have is a cohabitation agreement that has morphed into a prenup. You really need to have a little bit of time in between doing it in, in the actual ceremony, the legal ceremony. So you will have to get a lawyer, and both of you will need to have your own lawyer. So there is an expense involved in it. But that being said, it's worthwhile, I think. And some of them aren't going to be, you know, unless you have, you know, significant, significant assets, they shouldn't be overly complex, but clear enough to be a roadmap. But we did have one day where I could tell, you know, Mark was not in a good mood, and he was kind of not being particularly um, friendly, not unfriendly, but he was a little standoffish. And I said, you know, what's, or distant, I think. yeah, distant would be the word. And I, you know, I was like, so I locked myself in a room. No, you just <laughs> were barely talking to me. And I was just like, what's going on, you know, and, um, you know, they're one of the, the first lawyer he had spoken with was much more confrontational. And he felt the way the prenup was written was really not good. And so uh, towards Mark, and so we had to have a kind of a discussion about what my thoughts were, what his thoughts were, and then we had to go back to, uh, well, he got another lawyer who was actually more reasonable in price. But then we went back to kind of, I guess we would say, the negotiating table and kind of uh, changed a few things around. Because, you know, we both have our own individual careers and we both do other things within our careers, but maybe Mark goes on to invent a product that becomes, you know, super well-known and successful I don't know if I should be sharing in that down the line. And we can always change this. So all those things needed to be considered. But I do think we had to discuss the awkwardness a a little bit. I think that's important to talk about. It it will be awkward for anyone, any couple um, discussing that, you know. um, But it has to be done. You know, it's it's important. Provides clarity. It's, um, you know, it's sort of a... It's like when you're negotiating, it sounds crazy, but you're negotiating a contract for a job and there's a, you know, you need to understand what, what happens at the other end, you know, if they decide to let you go, you know, negotiate a severance contract. Exactly. Uh, it's very important. So it's just trying to separate love and money, I suppose, you know, or love, money, assets, but love and money, those two things, and focus on the, the what if you know, it's like same with your car insurance. You know, it's great to say I'm a great driver. Let's just drive. We don't need insurance. But, you know, what if something unexpected happens, you know? Um, and people do fall out of love, as I've found. Um, Multiple times. No, I'm just kidding. Well, no, I'm not. I'm not. 
<laughs> I'm not proud of that at well, all. That's it's, nothing it's, not, it's, I mean, we all have had, at our age, if we haven't had multiple relationships, then there's something wrong with us, in my opinion. Yeah, it certainly gives you perspective. So would you prefer to be with someone who just doesn't want to know about this and you have complete control of it? Or do you think that a partnership, and I'm not trying to you know, make you say yes, but a partnership with somebody where both people are knowledgeable and you can sit down at the table, even if it's a little uncomfortable, and have a conversation about it and come out with clarity. I mean, do which one gives you more peace of mind? Uh, I think having a prenup is essential. It does because it, it sets everything out up front and uh, each party knows where they stand. And I think, uh, I think it's the right thing to do. It's a modern thing to do. Did it make you love me any less, darling? No. <laughs> Did it make you love me any more? Well, you know, yes, maybe. Um, of course, it's the right answer, Mark. <laughs> anyway, um, so let me ask you a question. If you had any tips to give couples who are thinking about getting married, uh, who are together, going to live together forever, whatever, what tips do you have for conversations about finances that make it more palatable? Um, you know, how is a good way to do this so that it is not only informative, but it could maybe be fun and not so egregious that everybody dreads talking about it? Good question. I think it depends on the age you are as well. Um, we're, we're lucky that we're older and wiser, and we've, um, we have a lot of experience you know, marriages and relationships and finances and uh, joint finances and, times and, and, bad and times. consequences of, <laughs> right. and the consequences of, um, you know, hoping for the best and not having a plan in place for the worst, you know, and I think that's, uh, I learned from that. Um, so I think if you're a young couple, um, probably would be well advised to have those conversations obviously as early as possible in the relationship and and have um, counselling, you know, have have someone who can provide some guidance and, and help and that, help and facilitate that discussion. That's a great idea, and the, and you know, you can also do financial planning together. You can talk to a variety of financial advisors, but I think that's a great idea. I also think if you're going to do it, I've spoken to people who take a weekend and they go somewhere nice to a nice resort or they go somewhere or they go have a nice dinner and the whole purpose of it is to talk about finances so that it's not you know two people sitting across the table from each other with daggers in their eyes saying you know I want this and you want that just you know embrace it enjoy it and have fun doing it you just have to keep the romance alive whether you're talking about money or you're talking about your you know construction on your house or you're talking about your kids and or whatever problem is the problem of the day or the the challenge of the day but um i think that um compared to my first marriage you know we've had a, a much more open and honest discussion with each other about so many things and i'm very grateful for that i i don't know if i am too the first time around it was because I was young and you were young and it was the 80s and maybe people were just superficial and they never oh. talked about anything. I don't know. You're eternally optimistic, aren't you? Yeah. So, when you're younger. 
Yeah, and I think it's really important for young men and women to understand that money is a means to an end. And if you have control of your money, you can really craft a nice life for you. But if if, if the money starts controlling you and starts controlling your relationship, or one person can't leave a relationship because they won't be able to survive without the money of the other, or they don't know anything about it, then everything that was so beautiful becomes pear-shaped very quickly, and all the good memories can get eradicated by that. So... Um, we, I think, have somehow circumnavigated this. Um, and, you know, like I said, it wasn't all sunshine and lollipops throughout it all. You know, we've had to sometimes have some really honest discussions about not only the cohabitation agreement, but goals and desires and how we both want to live and make a compromise. So I really appreciate you taking the time today to talk to us and to me and my followers, so that they know that I haven't made you up, that you are actually real. I didn't Photoshop you into the picture. and that um, We Photoshopped the pictures. <laughs> yeah, just so we didn't have so many wrinkles. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure having this relationship with you and, and also, you know, helping me to kind of get my own stride and feel my own confidence and be with a person who is confident enough to allow me to be confident. And I think that was also lacking in my prior marriage. It was not good for my self-esteem. And so on a non-financial note, you know, if someone doesn't build you up and be your partner and support you, then, you know, you've got to show that person the door. So happy birthday again. Thank you very much. Um, I will make you a delicious dinner later. I'll put the champagne on ice. And we will go home and celebrate. Thanks very much, Mark, for joining us today. Thank you, Kimberly. Uh, that's it's the been fis- a pleasure. Thank you. That's a wrap. And this is The Fiscal Feminist signing off until next time. Thanks for listening. And don't forget, be honest in your financial conversations with your significant others. You will be so happy that you do it. Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice.
This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan. Ignorance is not bliss. As women, burying our heads in the sand when it comes to our money has dire consequences. But yet, so many of us have employed this detrimental strategy. After over two decades of experience, I've discovered that women face a twofold crisis of competence and confidence regarding how they approach and handle finances. It's time to close that gap. I wrote The Fiscal Feminist, a financial wake-up call for women to teach women how to take charge of their money and control their financial destinies. This book will help you achieve financial literacy, establish the right tools and rules for managing your money and relationships, and to plan for your future. It's time to gain and maintain financial wellness on your own terms. Head to FiscalFeminist.com to order your copy today.